house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. who live with us forever. Once upon a time, we were a family. What was it like? I remember laughs and, uh, and hugs. Lots of hugs. Mom was big on hugs. Ever since their mother died, I have done nothing but be there to help them. <laughs> I need to be selfish. Yes. Selfish in a good sense. This is a date. Maybe it's not a date in the sense that we're on our way to sleeping together. Why is that such a preposterous idea? Let's discuss that. Bill Paxton. There is something very wrong with you. Juliette Lewis. I'll give you my phone number. If you promise me you'll never, ever use it. Miranda Richardson. At least my kids didn't go to prison to escape me. <laughs> and in the roles that won them Academy Awards, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson. I'm looking for the love of my life. Not that many more shopping days till Christmas. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast signifying our personal and professional growth by cooking you a frittata. Frittata. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I am here as always with my co-host, Joe Reed. Hello. Hello, Joseph. I carried you through the rain to get you here. <laughs> I, I saw the red wire so we could uh, so we could have this podcast, Chris. Yeah. So I hope you're I hope you're grateful. I am. I am. That was one of my favorite lines in this movie. That I the, the, there was a f- quite a few that I actually wrote down for a movie that like spoiler alert, but like I don't think is super great. Um, yeah, it's quite not, a few it's... little lines of dialogue that I managed to find good enough to write down, and one was when. Uh, when Aurora is like, I sold the Renoir to put you through college. And Juliet Lewis goes, uh, she's like, you also sold the Renoir to like send Tommy to this and then send whatever to do that. And she goes, the money from that Renoir is like splinters from the true cross. Everybody's got a piece. Oh my God. I think my favorite, it's not even a funny line, but it's uh, Shirley MacLaine obviously has this rivalry with uh, Miranda Richardson's Patsy, Patsy. but the, I don't hate Patsy, I love Patsy, Patsy's family, and then she stabs the, like, cake or whatever, this is for Patsy. (laughs) Okay, so before we really get into it, how, how familiar were you with The Evening Star, the movie we're here to talk about today? So... The Evening Star came out when I was 16 years old, so I had not yet seen Terms of Endearment. That Myself was not well. really, um, that was not in my demographic wheelhouse yet. So I never really had much of an interest in in like that story. But I was already at that time like very much into just like movies and actors, and I loved Jack Nicholson, and I loved this like this seemed to have this real kind of momentous air about it because it was Shirley MacLaine and Jack ne- Jack Nicholson reuniting and I think at the time I was probably most familiar in the cast 
with Juliette Lewis and Scott Wolf, and we'll get to Scott Wolf in a second. But um, so I didn't really, I don't think I saw the Evening Star full on, like front to back, until like this week, until we oh, until wow. we watched it for this. I remember uh, watching it for other purposes, <laughs> um, which we'll get into, Uh-oh. but. No, I, because it was, I was like, there's no point in me seeing this if I haven't seen Terms of Endearment. And then it was like years until I saw Terms of Endearment. And then by that point, um, the sort of, the dis, the critical disrespect towards uh, The Evening Star made me feel like I didn't really need to seek it out anyway. So it, it occupies an odd little place in, you know, in the firmament where it's not really respected. And yet it has this like elevated place over other failures because it's this weird thing the sequel that exists to a very beloved property in a genre that doesn't really get sequels is the especially other a prestige sequel like right. uh, they're based right. on novels and it does happen with novels all the time but not so much for films okay so right. you had held out from seeing this movie because you didn't see Terms of Endearment. I maybe right. didn't see Terms of Endearment for a solid decade after seeing this movie. Oh, that's but, interesting. Like, the Evening Star was a steady rental rotation movie in my family household. Yeah. Like, I saw this movie a ton as a child without ever having seen Terms of Endearment because my family, like, my mother especially was like, oh, I can't watch Terms of Endearment. It's too much for me. Which, watching this back is strange because basically the whole second hour of the movie is just death. It's like death right. and another death and it another is... death and someone's dying and then they die. Because the reputation for Terms of Endearment had become not just, like you know, uh, dramedy that had won Best Picture or anything like that, or like Acting Showcase for Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine, it was, this is the movie that makes people cry the most. So I think the Evening Star really felt that in their second half, they were going to have to really go to the hoop hard in terms of getting people to cry. And I think one of the film's weaknesses is that like over-determination to take things to the end of the line, where... I feel like if this movie ends at any other point in its last 20 minutes, I think it's a stronger movie. Mm. I don't think it needs to see Aurora to death. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't think that's the the closed circle that maybe we needed to see out of the Evening Star. But, like, there was a very much, you feel a determination at some point in this movie that, like, no, we are trucking through to the end of this timeline. Yeah. That said, like, I could sit down and watch this movie again right now. (laughs) I probably haven't seen it in 20 years, but, like, after it was on a steady rotation in my household, I recalled whole scenes and stretches of dialogue. It really works on me. For a movie that I don't think is actually a very good movie, it really, really worked on me. And there's a place for those movies, too. I sat there throughout this movie recalling my childhood and saying, up. this is why I'm like this. This is <laughs> this is this is one of the this things right that here. you know yeah. radicalized me and made me obsessed with death and dying and That's you know women, strong women. Um, right, sure, yeah. So before we get into it, the Evening Star we should mention is written and adapted from the Larry McMurtry novel, which is a sequel to the Terms of Endearment novel. It's written and directed by Robert Harling, who is most famous for Steel Magnolias. He wrote the original play and then adapted his play for Steel Magnolias. Although his other screenwriting credits really do make him kind of like a patron saint for um, 
movies about women beloved by gay men because he also did the screenplays for Soap Dish and The First Wives Club. Yes. And then Laws of Attraction, which is like <laughs> the end, like the sad end to so many like stories is just like, and the Laws of Attraction, which didn't work. So it's like, okay, what, what? The bastard child of the Robert Harling yes. tribute to, monument to gay men everywhere. He was also um, instrumental behind the scenes creating, um, or he was the creator, I guess, of the ABC TV series GCB, which stands for Good Christian Bitches, which was a show on ABC when I worked there, so I ended up watching a bunch of it, and I will say did not get the love that it deserved for being a show about, like, catty, Southern Belle, like, backstabbing, scheming women, starring, among others, Kristen Chenoweth and Miriam Shore. It was, and Annie Potts, it was, like, justice for GCB. Yeah. (laughs) It got canceled pretty quickly, right? No? It sure did. It sure did. No, you are not crazy. It did. What also got dumped very quickly is the Evening Star, which was, it had a lot of uh, anticipation going into it, mostly because of Terms of Endearment and Shirley MacLaine returning to her Oscar-winning role. But it opened on Christmas Day and immediately died, and it was yeah. fairly reviled critically. It was, I think, probably more so than it deserved. I think the the yeah. expectation game really, really sunk it, which, like, you know, that was kind of inevitable, but... People really were angry at this movie for not being um, Terms of Endearment or that level of quality, which, you know, okay. (laughs) I mean... Like, like, it was never going to be. Do you know what I mean? It was just never going to be. We can get into it, but I do find it interesting that it's... Terms of Endearment is the James L. Brooks movie, which, like, the very next year, James L. Brooks would come back with a big Oscar movie with As Good As It Gets and Jack Nicholson, who also returns for this movie after winning... An Oscar for Terms of Endearment as well. Jack Nicholson's couple scenes in this movie really feel like a, a primer for like a like a first coat for what he would end up delivering with as good as it gets. Almost like a toe in the water of just like, remember, I'm Jack Nicholson. I I can do this kind of thing. I can pull this kind of thing off. And mm-hmm. and then he comes back the very next year, and everybody was very much ready for that. So yeah, very much so. Uh, but the film also stars Miranda Richardson, as we mentioned, Juliette Lewis, Bill Paxton, Golden Globe nominee Marion Ross. Um, Indeed. The uh, the son-in-law from Father of the Bride. The son-in-law from Father of the Bride. Um, Sean Astin's brother, Mackenzie Astin. Um, there's a bunch of people in, that sort of pop up in this movie. Um, the, the guy who plays the president in... Um, one of the Jack Ryan movies, one of the Harrison Ford Jack Ryan movies, where I remember from the trailer, he goes, I am the president of the United States. How dare you? And then Harrison Ford goes, how dare you, sir? And that's the only thing I remember about that movie. I will not let you dishonor their memories by telling me you had nothing to do with it. How dare you come into this office and bark at me like some little junkyard dog? I am the president of the United States. How dare you, sir? Paramount Pictures presents this summer's most electrifying motion picture, Clear and Present Danger. Is that Donald Moffat? Donald Moffat, yeah. The guy that dies in the diner in this movie? Yes. 
Of all the people who die in this movie, weirdly, Ben Johnson is not one of the people who dies in this movie, even though he is like, this was his last ever movie, and this and was like... the first closing credit of the movie is in honor of him because he, he had died. Away. Yeah, he had died between filming the movie and it being released, yeah. That is a little wild. But it is. Yeah. before we continue to discuss the film further and its problems or the things we love about it, Joseph, would you like to give our listeners a 60-second plot description? Yes, with the caveat that enough things happen in this movie to have been like a season of television. So, like, give this me this would have been I... the like primo example of where you hear from every movie. It seems these days where it's like it should have been a limited series. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, you could have had a whole season devoted just to characters dying. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's season three, the season of death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, but yes, I will. I will do a 60-second plot description. All right, if you are ready, I will start your timer. All right, 60-second plot description from Joe Reed on the Evening Star begins now. Okay, so it's 15 or so years since the end of Terms of Endearment. Aurora Greenway is raising the three adult children of her uh, deceased daughter, Emma. Um, Tommy, who was the real problem in Terms of Endearment, um, has continued to be a real problem, and now he's a very sullen inmate in prison, and Aurora goes to visit him periodically, and he throws away her brownies because he's a dick, and he always has been. The youngest is Melanie, played by Juliette Lewis, and she's going to college, but she's not really grateful of the opportunities that she's been presented, and she's dating this no-good Nick, played by Scott Wolf. 30 seconds away to Hollywood and he dumps her and she like accidentally falls into a career in acting and everything is good. Her life has been sort of like subsidized by Patsy who is her mother, her late mother's best friend played by Miranda Richardson. She and Aurora are rivals. Aurora meanwhile is trying to find the love of her life. She's dating her therapist played by Bill Paxton. Ten her housekeeper is played by Marion Ross and she gives her some straight talk but then uh, uh, her name is Rosie and she dies and then eventually Jack Nicholson comes back into the picture for like two days but they're not together either because the real love of Aurora's life it's been her family. You kind of got a lot of things in there. For I a second, a I was like, he's there. not going to mention Marion Ross. Of course I had to mention Marion Ross. She got the Golden Globe nomination. Who I didn't mention was middle child, um, I can never remember, Teddy. Teddy, played by Mackenzie Aston, whose wife in the movie is this like very interestingly sour woman who we never actually really see in her, like, she never gets the focus onto herself ever. And Aurora yeah, just like, hates what it, her and thinks she's trash for some reason. That same scene where Aurora is wrapping up all those pound cakes to give to, where she stabs it and says the thing about Patsy, she refers to her as Loathsome Jane. And so, all through the movie, I'm just <laughs> like, that's in my head. I'm just like, it's Loathsome Jane. I loved, I loved uh, the casual disdain that Aurora has for her. I really. I do love Shirley MacLaine in this movie. I have yeah. to say, it is probably a performance that she could do in her sleep. She's—it's very much in her wheelhouse, uh, and probably is is so because of what a definitional performance she had given in terms of endearment. That, of course, is the one she won her long-awaited Oscar for. But like this vibe she has that is both loving and like sharp-edged, but also. She plays the victim and the perpetrator at once, I think, is very interesting. Her relationship with Juliette Lewis is, I would say, probably more cliched than complicated, which is, I think, one of the big problems with the movie. Yeah. But there's two really good actresses going back and forth. I think she and Miranda Richardson have some really good scenes. They have a couple really kind of 
over the top scenes that maybe push it a little bit it's too a much. little too much especially the scene where they literally get into it on a fight on the plane on and the they're plane. throwing like wine and it's a food. bad scene it's, it's a bad scene but they have lo- they have many better ones i will say and um, this whole elaborate thing with a belt right the yellow belt yeah the movie sort of like gets into these like weird cul-de-sacs and and plot becomes very important for a moment and so this triangle between the two of them and then the bill paxton character is like very important for a while and then it goes away forever and sort of the same thing with the melanie character where like what's to be done about melanie is like a huge concern she tries to kill herself she you know she breaks up with scott wolf a couple times and then moves into la i did like the suicide attempt they go to the hospital and the doctor's like well, she took an overdose of pills, but it was they were all muscle relaxers, so you can't really overdose. You can't really die on an overdose of muscle relaxers. She's relaxer. just really relaxed. She's just very relaxed. And then everybody goes in, and they're frantic, and she's just basically stoned. Yeah. It's interesting you mention her as the Melanie problem, because it does really kind of not know how much of a primary character to make her, to the right. point that it's like, when she basically accidentally becomes an actress it's like they solve the problem by giving her a career and yep. she's too busy to talk to anybody i guess yep fully yep. to the extent that she drops out of the movie that my memory was that she also died <laughs> right so when i was watching this again i was pleasantly surprised that she did not die but yeah like i she will say also falls out of the movie perfect casting of Juliette Lewis to play the daughter of Deborah Winger and Jeff mm-hmm. Daniels. I yes. feel like that's like really, really well done. And she was, of course, probably at her most, her hottest era in terms of like bankability as an actor, castability as an actress right then, mm-hmm. right? Because it was like a couple years removed from, um, shit, the serial killer movie. Cape Fear. Natural Born Killers. Oh, Natural Born Killers. And, so she was just like she was just in a lot I feel like in this era. Yeah, Cape Fear was about 5 years before this, her one yeah. and only Oscar nomination and I don't know, I feel like this was the era of getting a lot a lot of Juliette Lewis in the culture. I think she got did you say she got a MTV Movie Award nomination? No, for this we haven't talked about them in a while cuz we haven't done that much in the 90s. She got a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for this. Oh, interesting. The movie's yeah, her, only nomination. She got favorite supporting actress. Her run from Cape Fear to this movie is a pretty, pretty interesting one. She's in Husbands and Wives in '92, which you know, less said about that movie's crossover with real life, the better. Oh, right, right, right. Um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? She's the romantic lead in that. California. Did you ever see California, where she I and Brad not. Pitt play serial killers? That was like the apex of her dating. Brad Pitt, I feel like, was that movie. Um, and then Natural Born Killers the next year. So that was really like her big, scary, killer Juliette Lewis sort of phase. That's Mixed also the nuts. year of my problematic fave Christmas movie, Mixed Nuts. Mixed Nuts no is 95. And then Strange Days is that same year. And then Basketball Diaries also. So like 95 is a really kind of eclectic year for Juliette Lewis. And then 96 is both The Evening Star and From Dusk Till Dawn, which is really weird because she plays characters in both of those movies that are like 10 years apart. Like she's a teen in From Dusk Till Dawn. Like her whole thing is that she's like innocent teen who like makes it out the other side of this like vampire massacre. And in The Evening Star, she's like fully college student out on her own, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
when her that fucking beret she keeps wearing, which like <laughs> what a signifier of a time in the culture where we all everybody thought they could pull off a goddamn beret and nobody could. I also love that her final hair in this movie is basically like that helmet head thing to tell yes. you that she's grown up and gained some responsibility. Yes, it's true. It's very, very true. Um, I love Juliette Lewis, though. I do, too. I do, too. Noted I always have. cast member of Ma, Juliette Lewis, who's actually really good <laughs> in that movie. Um but yeah, we need more opportunities for her. I feel like of all of the actresses that this movie kind of fails and doesn't really serve, Juliette Lewis gets it the worst, and maybe Marion Ross gets it the best. Well, I mean, okay, so let's at least talking about the three Emma's three children, right? We're like Tommy is in jail, and she and Aurora keeps going back to visit him, and they go through the brownies thing like every time, and it's like incremental gains with him. But like he doesn't speak a word until he's like out of jail in like the th- like final quarter of the movie, right? Working in computers, working in computers gets a gets a you know sweet and quiet wife played by the one girl who was on 90210 for a while and um, then a, they have a baby and the baby becomes the favorite right right the one like good baby not like loathsome jane's child which is a monstrous what is his name that little monster who runs on the table and like scares the, the one shit out who of her? calls people buttholes yes it's something like it's not spud but it's like something weird bump? right where it's like bump something like that yeah, yeah. they named yeah. him after a hit of cocaine <laughs> um, Congratulations. And so that's Mackenzie Aston's family, who, like, does not get uh, a, any kind of drama in this movie. So, like, it's very easy to sort of paper over him, and that's He fine. wears a leather vest at one point. I think that's an acceptable amount of drama. <laughs> and then Marion Ross, you're right, is the housekeeper who sort of... She's the one who gives Aurora these, like, you know, much-needed doses of truth when she needs them. Classic, like, helpful housekeeper and she is slowly but surely sort of like falling in love with next door neighbor arthur played by ben johnson who is you know just very like kind to her and sweet to her and the two of them and aurora and the donald moffat character who plays the colonel the general what is yes what do they call who him? is like aurora's boyfriend he was like of? an old he wasn't she explains it at one point in the movie where he was like an old suitor who because she mentions i think she also refers to like the danny devito character from terms of endearment yeah about like former suitors of her, hers she mentions garrett breedlove who didn't really take and she mentions that like the general sort of moved in on their on that block and never really left her orbit but like they don't they're not romantically involved actively. I think he kind of yeah. pines for her, which is why Rosie gets so mad at Aurora when on the day of like his funeral, she goes to like go cavort with Bill Paxton because Rosie is angry that Aurora, who was the object of, you know, this man's affection can so casually sort of like move along. And that's that wonderful part where, Um, If you watch the trailer, this is one of those movies that is better as a trailer. A, because they can use the score from Terms of Endearment in the trailer for The Evening Star, which automatically makes it better. But also the part where uh, Aurora in her, like, funereal black ensemble sort of exasperatedly says to Rosie, like, I'm searching for the love of my life. And in the trailer, that immediately cuts then to Jack Nicholson saying not that many more shopping days till Christmas and like sort of laughing at his own 
uh, rudeness, which is, I think, a very, very... That's another very good line. Um, yeah. But they have such incredible chemistry together, those two, that that's, this is a movie that can get away with only putting them in two scenes and making it feel like a real meal mm-hmm. because they're so good together. And it comes, like, maybe 15 minutes before the movie's over and, like, you've been waiting two hours for it. This is a very, very slow movie, but you just kind of want to mm-hmm. live in those two scenes for as long as you can. The part where he walks into the garden in the background of a scene and he you don't see, he doesn't turn to the camera for a second. And at the moment, I was like, I really wish I was in a theater for this. <laughs> like, a theater full of just, like, middle-aged to older people who would have lost their fucking shit at that moment, waiting for that long for Jack Nicholson to finally show up. Except this movie never had a theater full of any. No, kind it didn't of have people. a theater full of anything. I looked up the weekend that it opened, the Christmas weekend that it opened, um, which is a wild m- Christmas movie weekend lineup of movies dominated by Scientologists. Michael was number one. The John Travolta Angel movie Michael was number one. Jerry Maguire was number two in its third weekend. So that was the Travolta cruise axis of dominance. Um, 101 Dalmatians in its fifth week is still up at the top there. Beavis and Butthead Do America, which was which opened in December, right before Christmas, <laughs> is number four at the box office, an ode to counter-programming. And in its second weekend, which is probably the movie I did see that week, was the second weekend of Scream. And that movie was, like, making its... Because I remember that movie was expected to do something, but I don't think do as well as it did. Yeah, that movie... Was that a $100 million movie? I feel Ultimately, like the first yes, two screens it just, were. It just made it over $100 million, which was like on a budget that was very, very modest. So I think it was a very profitable movie. Um, and then there's a couple romantic comedies on that top ten. One Fine Day, which was Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer, which did have... We could probably do that for this head Oscar buzz, because I remember... Yeah, it's an Oscar being, nominee. It's a song it nominee. Is, you're right. You're right. But I remember there being a lot of, like, is this where George Clooney becomes Cary Grant? There's, there, there have been a lot yeah. of those movies through the years, but I think that was definitely one of them. The Preacher's Wife with Whitney Houston and Denzel Washington. Weirdly, Mars Attacks in its third week beat out The Evening Star, which is tough. And then, yeah, because Mars Attacks was also a bomb. Also a bomb. Um, My Fellow Americans was in ninth. Do you remember that one with James Garner and I want to say Jack Lemon playing? Yes, ex presidents. Maybe that was the that was the conceit there. And, and I don't the, think Walter Matthau was in that one, but it was like no. the the final stages of the grumpy old men type of movies. Yes, exactly. And then The Evening Star then debuted in tenth place. With a sad three point three million dollar Christmas holiday weekend, it was it was tough. Like it's too bad, and then it ultimately totaled its total gross. Is that true? Oh, now it's like twelve million dollars or something. It's something like that. It is. It's a shame. Box Hold office on. mojo always shutting down on Sundays. I know. What the fuck? It's like we know we're recording a podcast, those jerks. I'll go on to IMDb really quickly. <laughs> Hold on one second. Um, Either way, like it, I wonder if this is a matter of that thing where it's like you can't watch Terms of Endearment because it's the movie that makes everybody cry and not stop crying and people didn't want to do that again on Christmas. Very or if possible. it was fully sunk by those negative reviews. 
at that point when the movie opened, it would have had that Globe nomination for Marion Ross, which was probably already a little bit of a deflation for what this movie was hoping to achieve. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah, it's worldwide. Yeah, it's it's domestic gross was $12.7 million total, which was also its worldwide gross because it did not play internationally. So there we yeah. have it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think this is a movie that probably didn't deserve tons better but like deserved better so so the movie doesn't really serve any of especially its actresses i mean like shirley mcclain is wonderful and we love her but like it's not as interesting like it's not it, it's kind of stuck in this like cheaper melodrama gear for I her agree. than say terms of endearment is I and, like agree. maybe that's the hold up there but who i think is actually like really good in this movie is miranda richardson and I mean, you talk about actresses who were in their sweet spot in this era. Like exactly. this was the like the prime of Miss Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson mostly does TV now, but I would be all for a Miranda Richardson like full on comeback. Oh my god! Absolutely, absolutely. I'm just bringing up her filmography now because I think it's interesting to look at what she had done between, let's say, what '92 was her big breakout, right? Because '92 was both the Crying Game. And Damage and Enchanted April. That was the one where she won the Golden Globe Best Actress for Enchanted April and was nominated at the Oscars for Damage. uh, Enchanted April is listed on IMDb as 91. Yeah, but it it didn't um, make its, it didn't do its American awards run until 92. I'm pretty Uh. sure. But because, yeah, because that was because Joan Plowright was nominated for supporting that year. And that was part of that nobody but Marissa Tomei. Everybody is not American but Marissa Tomei in that category, right, right, which right. was 92. Because um, Miranda Richardson, Joan Plowright were two of the nominees that year that lost to Marissa Tomei. Miranda nominated for Damage for basically that one great scene in Damage where she says, you should have killed yourself. Why didn't you kill yourself? You should have killed yourself when it began. Didn't you know? Didn't you know? What, you thought you could go on? Yes. Yes. Every day. Into the future. Go on betraying us both every day. You are not an evil man. You should have killed yourself when you first realized. And then I would have been able to mourn. It would have been hard, but I would have buried you. And I would have wept. To Jeremy Irons after... Have you seen Damage? I have not seen Damage. Damage is I worth seeing. I love Miranda Richardson, but I haven't seen either of her nominated performances. And then, so it's like those two are the ones that she got nominations for. And then the third one she did was only like the most like ballyhooed movie of that year, especially among like uh, like real cinephiles, right? The Crying mm-hmm. Game was such a sensation, such a crossover sensation that year. So really, Miranda Richardson jumped into the game in such a big way that year. And then two years later, she's nominated again for Tom and Viv, a movie I have not seen. Um, I don't know. Have you seen? I have not. Maybe nobody has seen Tom and Viv. Maybe that's <laughs> worth like me seeking it out because it's a two-time Oscar nominee. She was nominated and also Rosemary Harris was nominated. And... I mean, 
I could love a movie about, you know, tempestuous authors slash lovers. Like, that's fun. She, who plays um, T.S. Eliot in that movie? Is it Willem Dafoe? It's Willem Dafoe. It's Willem Dafoe, of course it is. Yes. And that was a, um, you know, a well-regarded costume drama at the time. And then from there, she goes on to, I think, The Evening Star represented her move into more sort of like contemporary American stuff. She was in The Apostle with uh, Robert Duvall. She went ended up being in um, The Tim Burton, Sleepy Hollow. And I don't know, she never really, I mean, she was in The Hours, but that's back to her, like, her roots, her sort of like mm-hmm. British costume drama roots. She's never really taken off in the states in the way that like yeah and now it's pretty much like period costume things and yeah a lot of television which i mean being in the harry potter cinematic universe she of course showed up in one of my favorite one season wonder uh television shows which was rubicon on uh amc she played the widow of this guy who had been maybe probably murdered for uncovering some sort of big you know, code-breaking secret in Rubicon. <laughs> I love that show. Fast. But yeah, any woman who could be in both The Young Victoria and Maiden Dagenham within a year, like, that is... That's a dame right there. That is a future... <laughs> that is a future Tea with the Dames. Miranda Richardson. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Tea with the Dames, where the T in T is spelled with a two. <laughs> Wait, so what's, like... Tea with the Dames Generation 2 is, like, Miranda Richardson... Jennifer Ely. Um, oh fuck. Um, I mean, like, oh, Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen Scott Thomas. But then is maybe one of them more or less famous than them? Oh yes, maybe like one like very like exceptionally famous person. Is that what we're saying? Like a Kate Winslet. Yeah, sure. Let's make that happen. It seems a little skewed, but we will figure out what Tea with the Dames too. Please tweet at us what you're. You, we need, okay, if, if you're going to tweet at us, here. yeah, if you're going to tweet at us your your suggestions for Tea with the Dames 2.0, five British women of what would would you say their ages would be now? In Put their, them like, in, within the same decade range of each other, right? F- late forties to late fifties. Uh, let's let's try late, yeah, late forties to late fifties. Okay, see what I you don't can. Know, come Kate up with. Winslet is late forties. We'll maybe we'll maybe read some of our favorite yeah. ones on our next recording if uh, if we see some really good ones. Fantastic. All right, moving on. I love it. Actually, moving no, on, we should let's probably... talk about Miranda a little bit more because you wanted to talk about her in the movie and I sort of hijacked your conversation. She's I wonderful think that she, in this. She is really wonderful in this, and the way that like like I mentioned, this movie does kind of like the cheapest version of a melodrama, and the way that it pits her and Shirley MacLaine against each other. She's is recast from. Grossed. Yeah, I think that's true. I think she's they recast her from Terms of Endearment. And I'm trying to remember whether those two characters were as kind of epically opposed to each other. Like obviously I'm sure they like yeah. clashed over Deborah Winger's character. But I and feel like, like the movie kind of builds on this sense like they clashed all throughout the childhood of the children. Right, cuz Patsy um, feels like she should have Melanie. Yeah, Patsy feels like sh- that Emma would have wanted her to raise her children and feels that right she has she has the close relationship with melanie that aurora would maybe want but aurora could never have because her personality isn't wired that way to just like 
provide and provide and provide. And also, Patsy's method of being there for Melanie is allowed to be... She's allowed to be the good cop because Aurora Mm -hmm. is always there being the bad cop. And the thing that I love about Patsy is she will always admit to what her true motives are. She will always admit to when she's just trying to get Aurora's goat. Or... And because she does that, you can also believe her when she says that she, you know, the moments that she does have good intentions or the moments that, you know, she is trying to be there for Aurora. And I like the fact that even though they are not actual blood relation family, that Aurora means it when she says Patsy's family and then she stabs the pound cake. But like, she can't get rid of there's a resentment to that Patsy's closeness with Emma will never be undone and 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 aurora will always honor emma's memory by keeping patsy as close as family and one of the weird things about the movie and i think it's fine because like the interesting the relationship between aurora and patsy is interesting it feels like the only real way that the movie deals with the emma character and her death yeah, like it's I kind of true. just like this thing in the room because the never kids were too young, especially yeah, especially yeah. Teddy and Melanie. We get Teddy and Melanie sort of reminiscing over a scrapbook about, you know, what was life like. Melanie was a baby when her mom died, so but it she specifically really never really deals with it with Aurora. Yes, like true. she never really talks about her daughter all that much, right? Or like what that death meant to her. Weirdly, you know where you get that her. scene. You get that scene years, years, years later in In Her Shoes. Yeah. The scene where Shirley MacLaine talks to Cameron Diaz about what, or is it that she's talking to Tony Collette, I can't remember, about what raising her daughter and trying to love her daughter the right way uh, was. And I'm like, I have always been like, wow, this could be, you know, older Aurora Greenway talking about her relationship with Emma because it was so you know, combative at times and tempestuous, but there was always such love there. Yeah. I don't know. I do think that the Patsy Aurora relationship is interesting. And in some ways, Miranda Richardson like surprises in the back half of the movie that like, she kind of becomes the second like build character in terms of like what the relationships are, because everybody kind of comes and goes in this movie, but she's the steady constant. It's um, the episodic nature of the movie means that like for a while there Juliet Lewis is the second build and then for a while there it's Marion Ross and then Jack Nicholson is for like two scenes but you're right by the end of the movie Bill Paxton right right Bill Paxton has his own little chunk of the movie but by the end by being there for, for, you know the whole time it is it is Miranda and uh, and Patsy who else do we got in this movie? Who else can we talk about in terms of... Because this is this movie had Oscar buzz for very recognizable reasons, which is it's the sequel to a Best Picture winner. That's always going to, mm-hmm. even if it, you know, even if it is destined to disappoint, I think from from the early from an early stage because Godfather Part 2 won best picture essentially all those years you could just be like ah it seems unlikely and yet the Godfather was able to pull it off you could never say that like sequels don't work even though like you know the two jakes remember was a sequel to Chinatown and that never yeah. happened and um and I think this sort of falls into the same bucket and then the Lord of the Rings came around and then that really sort of busted up all these notions for a while all these notions of sequels sequels and they don't work and that kind of thing and so the rules have been you know bent and busted in this sort of more modern era and yet we always think of we can always think of 
the disappointments and the failures, even to the point where like Godfather Part Three, which is sort of universally seen as, if not a failure, then like a huge qualitative step down from the first two movies, still got and a best still picture got nomination. a best picture nomination. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. I wonder if some of that has to do with a certain gender bias in what, especially in the 90s, the Academy was taking seriously, that like, even if The Godfather Part 3 was considered a disappointment, they would consider it on another level because it's The Godfather and it's dude stuff. And then this is a female-led movie, and it is a movie that is beloved largely by women originally with terms of endearment, and so it's easier for them to write it off before they assess it in any real way or give it a benefit of the doubt i think this movie gets more of a benefit of the doubt if james l brooks directs it yes i I think think that's probably fair because this is also robert harling's first directorial effort and he's just he's stepping into a a property that is not his i think think that like terms of endearment for as much as it makes us think of shirley and it makes us think of deborah winger it's that was james l brooks's baby you know and it remains so and it's to have a sequel to Terms of Endearment that is not directed by him, if not written and directed by him. Like, you know, it's it's almost, it's not the sequel that we want. And I think maybe that was driving a lot of the bad reviews, which is like, this wasn't what we w- would have wanted out of a sequel to Terms of Endearment. We would have wanted the James L. Brooks version of it. Mm-hmm. Even if he might not have been able to do any better with it we would have at least liked to have seen him try. And I think at the time, he was probably working on As Good As It Gets already. So like he ended up doing fine. He ended up with a successful movie anyway. I mean, maybe he could have given us something along the lines of Spanglish, though, that could have been even worse than what Right, that's what, yeah. Because this movie's incredibly watchable, but like the really bad James L. Brooks movies are like a chore. Yeah, I just don't think he was at that point yet. That's fair. That's fair. You know, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, like, there's also the Shirley MacLaine thing, because Shirley MacLaine, while her win for um, Terms of Endearment was her last nomination, uh, another example of a performer that it's like when they're overdue, people get tired of them a little bit. She never really left prestige roles. She was constantly nominated for Golden Globes. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, like it's, that never stopped. For a woman who got five Best Actress nominations, or five acting nominations, one of them might have been supporting, um, and then, like you said, stopped getting nominated after she won, which is interestingly the same deal as Al Pacino, and we'll see now that The Irishman is coming out, whether this is the year that breaks that streak, whether he gets back into um, Oscar's good graces with that movie. But, um, Which has been an even longer time than like the Evening Star, even in her shoes, would have been for Shirley MacLaine. Well, you look at this will Shirley... be what thirty years close to it for yeah. Pacino. Ninety. Wild. Well, he was what ninety two. Yeah, yeah, almost. Almost and, thirty years. And you look at Shirley MacLaine's career, and for all of the nominations that she got, she has so many like definitional performances and films that she never got nominated for, which is like uh-huh. an interesting thing about her career. But, like, uh, one thing that's, I think, interesting about Shirley MacLaine is, like, she started as an ingenue, and her nomination started as ingenues, and then it feels like Terms of Endearment, that's a little bit... I mean, maybe Turning Point is a little bit more bristly than those earlier performances, but Terms of Endearment is the one that, like, defined her since. And she's played, like, those kind of tough, broad roles since. Right, right. I think that's true. That sort of transitioned her into, like, this 
older woman phase of her career. And, you know, quite successfully, I think she's done very well. Hers is one of the more interesting Hollywood careers. When you look at, like, between her, you know, Warren Beatty being her brother to being, she was sort of the girl in the Rat Pack movies for a while. Mm -hmm. And she was always just sort of, like, game. She was, like, when the old days when they would have, like, five actors host the Academy Awards, and she would always be, like, you know, one of the one of the movie stars who they would chose to choose to do that. And she's just such a, you know, a pillar of a certain era of Hollywood, which is why when she does accept her Oscar for Terms of Endearment, it's such a wonderful moment where she really... It's one of the greatest speeches ever. It very much reminds me of the Julia Roberts speech in that, like, I know you're not playing me off of the stage. I know I'm going to get to, like, spread my wings and sort of, like, do what I want. So, like, there's a lot of moments in Shirley MacLaine's speech where she's just sort of, like, silent and gathering her thoughts, which I think is very interesting that, you know, Mm -hmm. you would never see anybody these days be allowed that kind of time. And she she talks about it. I mean, she talks about it in this very sort of self centered kind of you know not in a bad way i think but she talks about it in in terms of what this means for her career and how she manifested this you know this success for herself and how we all have that in us and it's a little bit sort of like new agey as she sort of was at the time but it's not (laughs) it doesn't feel insubstantial it feels like you know it's coming from the heart and she also has these great lines she has the thing at the beginning about this, um, what does she say? I'm crying because this show has been as long as my career. Yeah. And that gets a great laugh. That's one of the great, like, the Oscars is running long uh, gags. And then she says... Shirley MacLaine is the only person allowed to joke about how the Oscars 100%, are too long. Everyone is, else can shut up. That is on the books. That is a real rule. And And then she says... Something about, like, I've been waiting for this for so long, and thank you for terminating the suspense, which is another great line. But then she ends it with such the kicker about, like, because she's talking about how we manifest our own uh, successes, and if we dream it big, we'll get what, you know, we'll get what we feel we deserve. And then she just raises the Oscar a little bit, and she goes, I deserve this, thank you, and walks her <laughs> out. And it's just like, yes, it's so perfect. I'm going to cry because this show has been as long as my career. (laughs) I have wondered for 26 years what this would feel like. Thank you so much for terminating the suspense. Oh, my... I am nervous. I'm not going to thank everybody I've ever met in my entire life. (laughs) Although, with the way my mind has been going lately, probably everybody I've ever met in my entire life and any other life I might have had had something to do with this. (laughs) You know, if, um, if Terms of Endearment had happened to me five years ago, I think I would have called it a thrilling, commercial, artistic accident. But I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe there's any such thing as accident. I think that we all manifest what we want and what we need. I don't think there's any difference, really, between what you feel you have to do in your heart and success. They're inseparable. Jim Brooks 
deeply wanted to make a film about the defects and imperfections and foibles of people in a humorous and loving way. And he had such passion, it was unbelievable to watch. He's being very modest with himself tonight. It was unbelievable. His sense of truth was so accurate that he, he overwhelmed his own insecurities and paramounts. <laughs> I guess we all did the same thing. I have wanted to work with the comic chemistry of Jack Nicholson since his chicken salad sandwich scene in Easy Pieces. <laughs> and to have him in bed with such middle-aged joy. I wanted to work with the turbulent brilliance of Deborah Winger. She literally inhabited the character so thoroughly that I thought for four months I had two daughters. <laughs> but in the end, just let me say one thing. Um, films and life are like clay waiting for us to mold it. And when you trust your own insides and that becomes achievement, it's a kind of a principle that seems to me is at work with everyone. God bless that principle. God bless that potential that we all have for making anything possible if we think we deserve it. I deserve this, thank you. <laughs> I just really want someone to win that can get away with saying, I deserve this, thank you, again. And I want us to all feel like, yes, you do. Come on, Renee Zellweger. Let's do it. I mean, maybe not Renee. <laughs> but for me, uh, I, I love that performance and I yeah. love her. But maybe Jennifer you have Lopez. One? Yeah. Jennifer um, Lopez. Yes, Jennifer Lopez can win the Oscar this year and say, I deserve this. And maybe she you. will. And maybe she truly will. She also has that great will. line to, uh, about uh, working. I mean, she has a couple. I could say the whole speech. I know it by heart. Uh, when she mentions how being in bed with Jack Nicholson was such middle aged joy, which is such a great line. But she says, she shouts out Deborah Winger, who famously. Uh, Sharon McLean and Deborah Winger did not get along on the set of Terms of Endearment. There was a lot of uh, friction there, and but she which says, was semi instigated by James L. Brooks. Yes, yes, that should you know deserves to be mentioned. But also, like Deborah Winger is a famously sort of sandpapery. Like she's not going to brook any kind of foolishness, and she's been sort of famous for clashing on a lot of her projects. And at some point. It's which isn't to say she's been in the wrong, but at some point, Deborah Winger's reputation for being uh, combative is probably earned. Uh, you know what I mean, at least a little bit. And but Shirley is very sort of like you know generous at this point, and she says that she had long been wanting to work with the turbulent brilliance of Deborah Winger, which is one of my favorite, like, was that backhanded? What's going on there? <laughs> turbulent brilliance. For a while there, when I was thinking about doing a different kind of podcast by myself, that was going to be the title of the podcast, was Turbulent Brilliance. And oh, I love that. Wait for somebody to sort of get what reference I was making. But uh, anyway, 
now that I've spoken aloud every word from her acceptance speech. <laughs> if we haven't already put a sound drop in there multiple times. Oh, we absolutely it. will. Oh, knowing me, we, we've already done that. Yeah. But Joseph, yes. I have a challenge for you. I love a challenge. I have a game for you. Love a game. I mentioned yeah. before we maybe get a little bit further into Shirley MacLaine or... I know you want to talk about this year's Golden Globes. We can talk about this year's Oscars as well. I mentioned that Shirley MacLaine has never really stopped getting Golden Globe nominations. Okay. If you can give me a number, what number do you think of her competitive Golden Globe nominations? So not including her Cecil B. DeMille Award and not including her Most Versatile Actress Special Award and the Most Promising Newcomer Award because they don't have those anymore and I feel like those don't count. What number do you think she has? Eight. Oh, no. She has 19. Shit. Wow. She has 19 across many categories, including music or movies and television, musical comedy, drama, miniseries. I have a game for you where you have to guess her Golden Globe nominations based off of IMDb IMDb keywords. Okay, let's do it. All right, so I'm going to give you the first one. We kind of talked about this. This was one of her Rat Pack movies. I will help you out with some of these older ones. The first word is soldier. Okay. Next word, homecoming. Uh, okay. It's, Al- see, I just don't know. I know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure, at least. But I can't get the, like, I know the movie in my head, but I can't grab the title. It's like... It's not Five Came Back. That was the uh, that was the Mark Harris thing. But it's something. Oh, like you're that, close. Right? It's like some gave all or something like that. It's alcoholism, alcoholism, Indiana, and Carnival. You're gonna have to give it to me. I'm like I'm bouncing around it. But this is the one with her. It's some came running. Yes, some came running. I knew I was bouncing around it. All right, the next one. Her next nomination. Your first keyword is kissing on a doorstep. Luggage, lingerie, and then because there's only four, it is based on a novel. I don't think you're going to get this one. Okay. I'm not sure if this movie has been lost to time. What were they again? Kissing on a doorstep, lingerie, luggage, and based on a novel. Her first Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical nomination is for Ask Any Girl. Yeah, I would not have gotten that. Ask Any Listener and they will not know that the movie exists. (laughs) All right. All right. So, next one, once again, Actress in a Comedy or Musical. Your keywords are Mirror. All right. Card Game. All right. Christmas. Okay. Suicide. The apartment. The apartment. Yes. Okay. Next one. Secret. False accusation. <laughs> oh, the children's hour. The children's hour. False accusation. Yes. There we go. Next one. Paris. Uh huh. Irma LaDuce. Irma LaDuce. Okay. Next one. Rich man. Okay. Oh, um, Air- sweet charity. No. Okay. Airport, assumed identity, cabaret. It is not sweet charity. Still not sweet charity. (laughs) And heist. Oh God, I have no idea. It's gambit. I don't know that one. 
Oh shoot! Remember yeah. that remake that like sat around for years? That was Colin Firth and um, uh, Cameron Diaz of Gambit. That was like, no. written by the Coens. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that a Cap Burglar movie with uh, with Colin Farrell and Cameron Diaz. Yes, please. Yeah, but it was supposed to be a nightmare, and they pushed it back for like years. <laughs> the original is Shirley MacLaine and Mike Cocaine. Ah, uh, nice. All right, so the next one. Uh, was this drama or comedy? This is also a comedy or musical nomination. Okay. Your keywords are female nudity. Uh huh. Dalmatian. Huh. Roller skating. <laughs> opera. And I suppose this could be the hint if you even know that this movie exists. It is an omnibus film. Oh. Like California Sweet, but not California Sweet. Correct. I don't know. I have no idea what this movie is. It's a movie called Woman Times Seven. Guess what? She plays seven different women. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The next one. Okay. Flower Child. Uh huh. Dance Hall. The, the Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity. There we go. Finally. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was well, coming. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, we would get to Sweet Charity. Yes. Um. Uh. Your next title. Wealth politics being there being there the okay. next one was female masturbation television <laughs> and gardener yeah all right next nomination grocery shopping <laughs> steel convertible no damn it convertible oh terms of endearment terms of endearment yeah do I, I i jumped the gun all right this one's gonna be hard too it is her first television nomination you won't get this but the okay. keywords are hilarious ancient alien no crying man machu picchu wow psychic and autobiographical <laughs> don't know she was nominated for actress in a miniseries or motion picture made for television for out on a limb this is like when her i've lived previous lives thing started to manifest in like actual projects where like she was probably just being cast as like in weird new agey shit because she was espousing weird new agey shit uh, basically, basically. Yeah. This next one is not new agey, though the poster would perhaps deceive you into thinking that it could potentially be. Your first one is based on a novel. Okay. Eccentric. <laughs> okay. Teacher. Okay. Culture clash. Okay. Character name as title. Madame Susatska. Madame Susatska. Famously she won three, that globe. Three-way tie for the globe that year. Her and Sigourney Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist, and then it must have been Jodie Foster for The Accused, I imagine. Yes, a yeah. three-way tie. Three-way tie. Including Shirley MacLaine. Go look up this poster. It's like her with like something you would throw on the back <laughs> of your grandmother's sofa. And that's like her robe. <laughs> Nice. Um, okay, moving on to the next nomination, female protagonist. Okay. Based on a book. Okay. Film industry. Okay. Addict. Uh, Postcards from the Edge. Postcards from the Edge, which Postcards she was not edge. nominated for an Oscar which is for, which stupid. is stupid. Very stupid. Nominate her, for God's sake. That's dumb. Um, okay, next movie, your first word is wig. <laughs> okay. Based on a play. Okay. Jewish. 
oh. funeral. Oh, what was this movie? Is this the one that Diane Keaton directed? No, it's not. But it's that was Unstrung Heroes. This is I always get this confused with Unstrung Heroes. It's um, is it like Marcello Mastriani in this movie? Um, uh, no, but it's, it's directed by Beban Kidron, who we we like we we stand. It's um, used people. Used people. Yeah. Used Your people. other keyword was Marilyn Monroe impersonator. <laughs> okay. I also love that Marsha Gay Harden is in that movie, probably on a break from Angels in America. Probably, yeah, that year around there. Yeah, that would have been, what, 91? Uh, something. Uh, yeah. Next movie, Old Woman. <laughs> Brain Tumor. Okay. Chauffeur. Okay. Hostage. Okay. Buried Alive. What? You don't know this? No, I feel like I would. I've never seen Guarding Test. She gets buried alive in Guarding Test. Wild. Yeah, like Nicolas Cage is her bodyguard, basically, and he has to save her because she gets kidnapped, and the kidnapper buries her. I never knew that was Guarding Test. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's wild. This one just makes me cackle and was part of the reason why I did this game. It's another television one. I will give you that hint. First. Uh, keyword is rise to power. Oh, I know this. Um, and I got it mostly because you're, you think it's so funny. It's the Mary Kay one, right? It's like Hell Can on you give Heels. Give me the full Hell on Heels, the Battle of the Mary Battle Kay. Of Mary she Kay. plays Mary right. Kay. She does, yes. I remember the other that. keywords were pink Cadillac, character name and title, and cosmetics. Uh huh, uh huh. Next uh-huh. nomination yep. Sex in a Bathroom. Okay. Reggae. In her shoes. Yes, in yeah. her shoes. <laughs> the other keywords being Hagen Dazs ice cream, bride, retirement home. Ah, uh, all right, that's perfect. Yeah, and final of her nineteen many Golden Globe nominations, keyword turn of the century. Oh God, eighteen nineties, nineteen hundreds, orphan, and this might give it to you, fashion. Oh. Um, Coco Chanel. It is Coco Chanel. Right. The TV one, not the uh, Audrey Tattoo one. Yeah. Well, the, wasn't there another one on top of that, too? There might have been. All of a sudden, everybody figured we needed movie upon movie about famed fashion designer slash Nazi sympathizer Coco Chanel. Yeah. So Shirley MacLaine, Shirley Whoa. has to be uh, <laughs> and <that> <laughs> unintentional, has to be one of the most nominated Globe people because that's an insane list of nominations. That's a ton. I mean, like Meryl's, I'm sure, drop, dwarfs everybody's, but yes. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. That's insane. Good for her. But not good for the Shirley, Evening though. Star. Not the Evening Star. Yeah, that's in, the Evening Star only got a nomination for Marion Ross in the category of supporting actress in a film. And what's interesting about that was that was one of those the Golden Globes because there are so relatively few voting members that are tie they end up with ties quite often, and they just sort of like allow you know all of the tied participants to get nominations. So in this case, there were six nominees. The other five all went on to Oscar nominations, and poor yeah. Marion Ross was stuck there on the side of the road waiting for Aurora to pick her up, and she never showed up. It was That was the one that Lauren Bacall won for The Mirror Has Two Faces before Count Chocula, Juliette Binoche, came stalking up the 
the rail and stole her Oscar from her. And then, of course, the other nominees that year were Joan Allen in The Crucible, fantastic performance, Barbara Hershey in The Portrait of a Lady, also a fantastic performance, and Marianne John John Baptiste in Secrets and Lies, which is also a fantastic performance. Like, that's a very good category that year. It's interesting that Shirley MacLaine couldn't be nominated for Actress in a Drama because l- let me do this lineup as well. It's Brenda oh, Blythe won for Secrets and Lies. Go ahead. Do you not think they would have categorized this as a comedy? I think they would have categorized it as a drama because Terms of Endearment was categorized as a drama. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. When like they could have just as easily categorized that as a comedy. Yeah, they could have, and I'm surprised. And that I they also didn't think like too. the last hour of this movie is literally just people dying. So yeah, you know. Yeah. But yes, okay, so Actress in a Drama is Brenda Blethyn in Secrets and Lies, Oscar nominees Emily Watson for Breaking the Waves, Kristen Scott Thomas for The English Patient, and then Courtney Love for People vs. Larry Flint, Oscar yep. Shutout, and interestingly, Meryl for Marvin's Room, and Oscar not Diane it. Keaton, who right. was nominated. Right. This year at the Oscars, especially when, when just looking at the nominated women, is probably the room that I would most have wanted to be in in my entire life where in the same room were Meryl Streep Courtney Love, Madonna Glenn Close Frances McDormand, Debbie Reynolds Barbara Streisand, Lauren Bacall, like it was just a cavalcade of incredibly fascinating personalities and people and like to have been a fly on the wall at any of those conversations the fact that Madonna is nominated and ends up winning best actress opposite other nominees like in the other nominated category are both Antonio Banderas and Kevin Costner who were both in um uh Truth or Dare Truth in or that dare, yeah. remember that scene in Truth or Dare when she goes from like Kevin Costner telling like, her that the show was neat and she turns around and like gags herself and then she also tries to like throw <laughs> herself at Antonio Banderas like what a what a room to have been in Tom Cruise is there that year um Eddie Murphy is nominated for the Nutty Professor that was the year that like Woody Harrelson brought Larry Flint to the Golden Globes for because he was in the People versus Larry Flint. Like it's a wild year just in terms of the talent involved and the fact that like even the TV nominations are pretty wild. Would have been that like Chicago Hope ER kind of a era. Let me just read this uh, Best Actress in a Miniseries lineup. Helen yes. Mirren won opposite Ashley Judd, Isabella Rossellini, Demi Moore, and Mira Sorvino. Oh, was that the Marilyn Monroe, Ashley Judd, Mira Sorvino, like yeah. both playing Norma Jean and Marilyn? Yeah. Yeah. What a year. What a year. Cher's what was nominated de- for supporting. For what? For If These Walls Could Talk. <gasps> if These Walls Could Talk. Oh, wow. What a moment. What a moment in history. This is like the best Globes ever. Yes. It really, really is like an incredibly, incredibly interesting Globes. And it was such a bummer. I remember at the time, there was all of this buzz over all of these people who might get Oscar nominated. And then the Oscars fully declined to nominate any of those big personalities, right? Where like Madonna doesn't get nominated. Courtney doesn't get nominated. Like imagine Madonna and Courtney Love. Remember the last time we put Madonna and Courtney Love in the same space? Hi, Courtney. That's Courtney, everybody's favorite. Come on up. Should we let her come up? Yeah. No, don't, please. Come on, Courtney. Come on up. Courtney's coming up. Well, come up. Courtney Love is in, de- in dire need of attention right now. Is she- 
She's throwing her compact at me. <laughs> I'll just stand over here. We'll, we'll get I get into astrophysicist because this rock star thing is not working out. Well, I think it's doing all right. I mean, and you're. you're I'm she's definitely the serious. Internet. I'm, I'm so over the uh, rock star thing. But yeah. you don't even do rock stars. You like you dip, as Michael Stipe would say, dip into the population, right? Yeah. See, it's like working in the hospital and like going out with the ambulance driver. Yeah. It's like I want to be a surgeon. I want to be the top surgeon. Damn it, I want to own the hospital. So you know, I go out with the other surgeon. Right. So like, maybe I should try a candy striper. I think you should get out of the hospital. No, man. I like it in here. Nice clothes. Good money. <laughs> and a lot of available. A lot of available. Hey, yeah, the Elvis, the Elvis doctors. Yeah, right. I know them all. Like the world almost exploded. Like that. MTV I remember Movie this Awards SNL thing. skit that is literally. I think it was a coffee talk where it was the three snubs played. It was Courtney Love, Debbie Reynolds, and Madonna. I remember that I too. Remember actually, correctly. yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. And Molly Shannon as Courtney Love. It's something yes, a little strange. I do remember that. Right. So like, yeah, Madonna doesn't. Courtney doesn't. Debbie Reynolds doesn't. Um, Barbara doesn't get a nomination. Bacall does, but like, it's amazing to me what that Oscars might have been. But like, I like that the Globes, if anything, the Globes are going to have that perfect collection of famous people in the room together. Yeah. I love it. I also love that they gave it to that just the lineup of Madonna, Demi Reynolds, Glenn Close, Barbara Streisand, and Frances McDormand. That yes. Madonna was the one that triumphed over I know, them. Like I know. that award speech, I remember from like watching on like her E True Hollywood story, and just like the kind of smugness in her win. And like, well, you'd be pretty smug too if you beat them. Do you know who presented that award? Uh, it was the it winner. Been it was the winner the pre- in that yeah. category the year before. Not the opposite category, so no, it wasn't a male. They did same. They did same gender this year. So like, John Travolta, who won for Get Shorty, Ooh. presented to Tom Cruise and gave him the award that he won for Jerry Maguire, which was interesting because Scientology, Scientologist, yes, um, right. So the winner of the '95 Actress in a Comedy then presented to Madonna, which I truly can't remember what it was. Nicole Kidman for To Die For. Oh. Oh, yes. So, like, up that even more, because Kidman, of course, is still married to Tom Cruise at this time. So, like, uh, to have been in that room. And that's Wild. the fact that, like, that's also the same year that, like, indies are taking over, where, like, the Pest Picture nominees are, like, Breaking the Waves, Secrets and Lies, Shine, like, Brenda Blethyn is winning awards, and all, like, all that same time, it's this just, like, like car I mean, crash you could of probably argue that the amount of celebrities to the point where they're nominating Glenn Close for 101 Dalmatians uh-huh, uh-huh. is like an answer to that too where it's like all the movies you care about are these tiny movies Very that possibly. Like, aren't yeah, even yeah. American right? and then they're still nominating all these stars this to me that comedy lineup honestly says to me that the Evening Star would have been submitted as a drama because I don't know how they wouldn't have nominated Shirley MacLaine after 19 other nominations or less at that point, obviously. Yeah. Well, it's very possible. Oh, yeah. Instead of Cruella DeVille. <laughs> yes, exactly. Future Globe nominee Emma Stone as Cruella DeVille. Oh, who did I see? You know who's in? No, wait, that's not in that movie. It's uh, it's Shirley is going to be in the Anna Kendrick is Santa's sister movie. No. Yes. No. Yes, true. Shirley deserves better. She, of course, she does. Shirley she always deserves better. Um, 
Okay, can we talk about Scott Wolf for a second? Yes, let's loop back around to the men in this movie. They only get a short amount of air time. They do. Yeah. All right, but I Scott that, Wolf. Scott Wolf, so do you have any emotional connection to Scott Wolf at all in terms of like his whole, his whole career? Were you a Party None of Five whatsoever. watcher? Do you remember him like as like the cute boy, like the cute TV boy growing up, or is that a little bit... I remember that, but, like, even then, he was not my kind of guy. However, he enters this movie in a mullet, loses the mullet, but keeps his whitey tidies throughout the movie. So the first thing you see of him in this movie, Shirley MacLaine walks in on him and Juliette Lewis having sex, and he, like, tumbles off of the bed, and then he, like, emerges with, like, a stuffed animal in front of his, uh, in front of his junk, and he's got, as you said, the mullet, and also this, like, sad attempt at a mustache. We know everything we need to know about this guy. He also has this, like, shitty working-class accent, which he, by the way, fully drops once he cuts the hair and moves to L.A. and does that whole thing, which I think is very funny. Um, but then, you're right, he cleans himself up He for this, like, second attempt after he cheats on Juliette Lewis to, like, woo her again. Cleans himself up, cuts his hair, shaves the stash off, and then decides he wants to move to L.A. to become a model-slash-actor. And there is a scene in this movie where he is in his tidy whities and he is, like, doing model poses. And, like, Scott Wolf, for people who weren't an active teenager from like 94 to 96 and it was really only that small little window that party of five was a thing where people are like scott wolf is the next tom cruise only because he sort of slightly resembled a younger tom cruise and he was also just like super wholesome and cute he had like these like impossible dimples on his face he was fucking adorable and if you were 16 years old when the evening star came out which i was and you just got a computer, and the computer was giving you, like, these are the movies where, like, those hot, like, male heartthrob stars, like, get naked. The gay Mr. Skin. Exactly. And so they were all, like, the evening star, you have to go see the evening star, because Scott Wolf is naked in it. And you do see, like, his little teeny little butt crack for a second as he's putting on his underwear. And so that is why I rented from the library the evening star and literally just fast-forwarded to the scenes with Scott Wolf, just so I could see, like, little naked Scott Wolf, because that was the life of a gay teenager in 1996. Truly, God bless the library. He's not good in this movie but like it's such a time capsule that he is the boy in this movie sort of like how you Keanu can tell Reeves... that the movie is directed by a gay man uh, yeah no sense. right exactly it's sort of like also that like how keanu reeves is the bad boyfriend in uh parenthood where that like that yeah. carbon dates that movie like you know exactly when that movie was made but like this even more so because scott wolf didn't go on to have like an adult career beyond like he was on everwood for a while and like scott wolf whatever scott wolf married kelly from the real world new orleans so really who is the true winner in all of this it is him but um i don't know i was everybody everybody my age was in love with scott wolf at the time if you were into boys in any kind of way so this movie will always have a special place in my heart because he looks perfect he still looks perfect he's still at that point where he started doing model poses i still kind of gasped and was just like, I think that's why I texted you and just like, we're talking about Scott Wolf in this episode. Because... Yeah, I was like, oh, I know what scene you're watching. Yeah, exactly. Um, so good for him. Anything Meh. else? You're, yeah, he's not your kind of guy. I get it. That's fine. No. Who was? Of all the guys in this movie, who would have been your... Uh... Of all of the, like, non-guys. It's sure that, certainly not George Newbern. Who's who says like, no You know words. what? Go back, to, go back to the Banks house and stop being a 
child, the Tommy, in this movie. I was like, you were in Father of the Bride. I don't buy you as an asshole. He um, was. He's such a, like, milk toast mean... husband in Father of the Bride, too. I mean, a Bill Paxton is kind of sexy, especially maybe See, I've never Bill gotten Paxton. the Bill Paxton thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just a more, like, I'm not into, like, the macho-ness, but he's, like, an unimposing macho guy who's yeah. probably also really nice, even when he played a lot of scumbags. Like, Bill Paxton's kind of cuddly. No, there's not really my kind of guy. I mean, you can imagine that Donald Moffat, when he was <laughs> right. a, a younger, might be closer to what my brand would be. But I don't, and this is, I mean, like, Scott Wolf takes up all of that real estate in this movie. Is it worth talking about Mackenzie Aston in this movie at all? I feel like he's such a non-factor. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. Other than, I mean, especially maybe because of that leather vest that he wears. On, like, Christmas, too. Yeah, true. Like, Teddy sucks. Teddy's very boring. I think that's true. I think that's right. Where are you on Jack Nicholson? Just as a... Yeah, in a general way, but also specifically in this movie. I mean, I love him. I do, um, too. I feel like it's it's almost like I shouldn't, and yet, like, I really do. I are always you saying have. you shouldn't because you're worried that there's a story yes, there? Yes, of course. I feel like we all are. I mean, like, he has, like, uh, he has a lot of, like, you know, people near him that do. But I thought, like, Angelica Houston was always outspoken that he was a good guy. And I feel like she would be like, he's an asshole. Plus, I always feel like what we see of Jack Nicholson has always been what we get, right? Where, like, he's right. never tried to put on a more sort of, like, saintly face. And I think he's... He's a, a rascal. He's a rascal. He has a Golden Globes Cecil B. DeMille Award acceptance speech that maybe I've talked about on this before, where he talks about sort of, like, growing up, going to the Globes, and being infatuated with all these sort of other actresses. But he tells the story... I've been invited. Uh, I, I've come to the Golden Globes forever. Before I was invited, before, <laughs> before it was on television, and you know, but before television, it was wild. I saw Joan Crawford, you know, the the legend, the idol of my own mothers and sisters in World War II, for chic and a strong woman, probably already the chairman of the CEO of Pepsi Cola stand up here and go, in my day, we had them. <laughs> I, I saw Rita Hayworth come sauntering down to center stage to some stripper music, you know, turn her back, flip the dress back over her back, I'll tell you, what a sight, I almost wept. <laughs> And over there, her ex-husband and stage partner and presenter for the night, Glenn Ford, looked out at us all and said, if you only knew how many times I've been through this. <laughs> I like fun. What can I say? In this, like, yes, kind of, like, body and very sort of, like, heterosexual male way, but I find him so... I think he's so charming because I think he really fully buys into the whole Hollywood thing in its, like, best terms. Like, I always go back to him reading the best picture win for Crash over Brokeback Mountain, and I'm like, because he was so honestly 
surprised by that. I was like, oh, you still get, like, invested in this kind of thing. Like, right. you still really kind of care about this stuff. And I love that. I love that about Jack Nicholson. He's so good I feel good like he's probably, movie. like, a typical heterosexual male horn dog, but, like, I don't think he necessarily... I don't get the vibe that he crossed the line, especially because, like, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't rely on people vouching for people anymore. But. Sure, but, yeah. But, no, I, I guess... It's at least he's a worth... certain type of lovable movie star that I don't think we have much of in that, like, he's still Jack Nicholson, but I think there's only a certain degree to which he takes himself seriously, which, right. like, not to be another person, like, shitting on Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> but, like, Leo would be a lot more fun if he took himself 10% less seriously. I agree. I agree. And maybe we'll get a chance to see some of that if he gets nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year, which I think he should. As he but should. I, I don't think he will, but I think he should because I, I think he he's great. It's my favorite performance of his in a long, long time. Yes. What yes, else? Yes. What else can we talk about? What other ephemera? I want to go through my notes because I made a. I did make sort of extensive notes on this, and I wonder if any of them even like apply now. Um, have we talked about Aurora's shimmer lipstick? At length, because I kind of want to. That also dates this movie very specifically. Her <laughs> lipstick is the most, like, they don't, nobody wears it this way anymore. Where it's these sort of just, like, sparkly jewel tones kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's so jarring to see. Because it's just, like, truly it is a thing that, like, has gone fully out of fashion. I mean, there was a decent amount of that. In the whole movie. Yeah. Um, she has the full Adele nails, which have come back. They have come fashion. back. Those have definitely come back, for sure. Like that, you know the shape of the nail. I do. Adele, perfect. Pointy claw, yes. Yes. Um, Marion Ross is seen in the kitchen where she tells Aurora that she's quitting her job so she can go and marry Arthur next door. And, of course, Aurora takes it poorly and selfishly because that's sort of her default mode ultimately she comes around but um where rosie says that she's never had anybody sort of look her in the eye and tell her i love you and it's like that's you can see why that like they campaigned her for awards for that because it's a really really good scene and it's I don't know. I was very happy for It's Marianne the closest Ross. thing that somebody gets to a spotlight at any moment in this movie that isn't Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. She's Marion Ross is really, really good in this. Movie. She's very, very good in this. Yeah. I like Even her though a lot. like the whole plot line around her dying is pretty bad. Like they full on just give her white lipstick when yep. she's really sick. And then when she dies, like Aurora's in her garden cutting flowers, and this is literally a movie where the wind yep. signifies that she has died. Someone has passed. And Aurora yes. knows. Yeah. Can we talk about Aurora's bright red Los Angeles ensemble when she goes to fly out oh to God. see Melanie? Fabulous. All, utterly fabulous. Super fantastic. Costumes in this Can movie Can we talk are about the yellow belt? Oh, There's yes. There's a whole plot the line belt. around the yellow belt. Yes. Patsy's yellow belt. Yeah. Tell the listeners about that. <laughs> So, like, the way that Aurora finds... She compliments a belt of Patsy's. You can never find the right yellow in a belt, which... Same, I guess. <laughs> you know, the truth. Um, and then she discovers that she is... Patsy has slept with her therapist that she, Aurora is also sleeping with because the yellow belt is on the floor and she steals the yellow belt. And next time she sees Patsy, she's wearing the yellow belt. 
truthfully a detective story for our time. Yes. She figured it out. Bill Paxton. Admirably what a heel. petty. What a heel. Um, did this movie make you want to go to the pig stand restaurant and order barbecue? Oh, not barbecue. It made me want to order, like, uh, all of the pies. It made oh, me want to have yeah. the shittiest coffee. Yeah. They go to that restaurant a lot. I the omelet. I know. I love that she, like, Aurora hates things that are trashy, essentially, but then she, like, loves this roadside diner because it's the closest thing she has to comfort when she goes and visits yeah. Tommy. Yeah. Like, yeah. that speaks a lot about who this character is in a way that the movie is just like, let her just be a jerk the whole time. There's a scene after Rosie dies where um, when Arthur comes over with the urn full of Rosie's ashes and he doesn't know what to do with them. And first of all, he suggests sprinkling them in the backyard of Aurora's house. And Aurora just goes, Arthur, we eat there. We eat there. <laughs> but then she says... Um, he's like he's gonna leave them with her, and he's essentially being like you. You know, I trust. Yeah, you to because he's out what like, I can't them. have another urn for my wife. I already have an urn for my other. Wife. And she, and like, then Aurora says, "You're right. Bookends would be tacky." Honestly, I mean, it's, and a, it's real, a funny line. It's a good line. Like, There's some lines in this movie. Of all of the supporting characters, honestly, fuck Arthur. Arthur is terrible. Like, he's a sweet guy to Rosie until they get married. And then he's like, no, you're my wife. You have to stay home. No. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's Rosie who wants to stay away because she's sick. No, but if you listen to Rosie talk, like, he is very patriarchal to her. I mean, he's... I think he's patriarchal in a sort of typical and, you know... Typical for his demographic and also their geography way. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't started. care. Fuck him. There's also a point where where Aurora looks at him and she says, in that same scene, she says, "You're such a good man and you care." And like to have Shirley MacLaine look you in the eye and say, "You're such a good man and you care." Like I, that's all I would need. I, I would be like, buy that scene. The Lord could take me now. Um, tacky. Yeah, I think that's it. I think, again, as I mentioned, I think this is a movie that exists better as a trailer than a movie. I think when you see it as a highlight reel, it it gives you, I don't know, I think a much more concise and concentrated feeling of the good parts of this movie. And it also doesn't, again, feel the need to take it to that last 15 minutes where you know it's they're going to keep ro- rolling until she dies as just such... I don't know. I find it deflating. Yeah. It feels obligatory. Like, they make the decision that it's going to be, yeah. If it ended right after, or, like, you give her one more scene with the family after she drives down the beach in the callback to Terms of Endearment, when she, in that scene where she and Garrett sort of, like, speed down... Uh, the the ocean side in the car and she sort of lets Rosie's ashes go which I think is like such a beautiful moment and it's sort of reverse engineered where they like drop that scene in earlier in the movie to make sure that we know that Rosie loves the beach just so they can justify that scene you know what honestly fine yeah. good good for them um, and then like take one more scene with the family after that wrap it up but like I think that's the emotional end of the movie for me yeah I don't know. That, I, I like Tommy's so much baby of this is movie. the emotional end of the movie because she's yeah, like, right. You're going to be the, you're going to be the chosen one. You're the, fr- this is the front page of my chronicle. Right. I love that. She calls her scrapbooks a chronicle. Uh-huh. Yep. 
Yep. I think that's a lot of what you Only need to Aurora know. Only Aurora Greenway. I also, this is very much... I love everything about this movie that dates it. This is a very big movie for CD culture, where yes. she keeps playing her like CDs of classical music and changing them out, and you manage to... like You see the, the, the CD player in its like place of prominence in her bedroom, and that stack of like jewel cases, which is such like a you know, a tactile marker of whatever. It's great. Do you want to move on to the IMDb game? Why not, sir? Yes. All right. Tell our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is. I should. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. It's only fair. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints until all of the correct answers are ferreted out, because we like that. So, Chris, have you decided whether you want to give a clue first or get a clue first? I will give clues first, so you are going to guess first. All right, let's hear it. I have this pulled up. All right, we talked about the best actress lineup for this Oscar year of 1996. Uh-huh. My chosen person would have been in Shirley MacLaine's category at the Globes, and she won and was eventually nominated for an Oscar. I'm talking about Brenda Blethyn. Okay, all right. Your IMDb game challenge is Brenda Blethyn. Secrets and Lies. Secrets and Lies. Okay. Brenda Blethyn. Little Voice? Yes, Little Voice. All right, so her two Oscar nominations are there. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice, yes. She's the matriarch of the Bennett clan in that movie. Okay, so I got three for three. What's the other big Brenda Blethyn movie? All right. I I don't think it's lovely and amazing, but I know that's one of hers that I could guess if I need to. Um, Brenda Blethyn. There's that other movie she was Globe nominated for that I can never remember because I never saw it. About, um, I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> it's called Saving Grace, but I don't know whether that is hers either. I'm Saving gonna... Grace is about pot. Oh, is it? That's interesting. Yes. Okay. I'm going to guess that, Saving Grace. Saving Grace, you got a perfect score <laughs> on Brenda Blethyn. Nice. Congratulations. All right. God, that's rare. Good for me. You, Your perfect scores are, are fully random. You got Brenda I know, Blethyn, Robert Carlyle. <laughs> yes. I guess apparently the obscure Brits are where it really happens for me. You know where it's at. So I followed the rabbit hole down for writer and director Robert Harling, who we talked about a little bit ago. And as I mentioned, he did the screenplay for uh, The First Wives Club and also Soap Dish, making him an honorary saint in the uh, in the firmament of gay entertainment. So... Of the many cast members that I could have gone with with Soap Dish, I am choosing Kevin Klein to give to you. Oh, Kevin Klein. Yes. Um, who we've talked about on the Ice Storm, so I'm just going to guess the Ice Storm. No. 
Okay, starting really well here. Um, <laughs> his Oscar win for A Fish Called Wanda. Yes, correct. Cool. Um, in and Out? Correct. Okay. Hmm. Those are... I feel like I maybe need to do a blockbuster, but he doesn't have those. Um, Dave? Dave, yes, correct. Dave, So you've fantastic. got three of four, and you've only got one strike. All right. Um... Mm, he's also in a lot of ensembles, but he's never really like at the top of the ensemble. Right. Ooh, uh, mm, life is a house. No, incorrect. Which we should talk about. We okay. should talk about. Yes. So the year missing year is 1999. 1999. Which means uh, this movie celebrated an anniversary this year. Yeah, but nobody's talking about him in anniversary terms. Is it? Ugh, I, mm, uh, is it Wild Wild West? It is Wild Wild West. I was going to say your wild, your wild instincts towards a blockbuster were correct, even though well, it was well, a I big remember it as a blockbuster. Yeah, well, was it? Did it make like a hundred million dollars? I feel like that movie bombed. It was definitely Maybe it just bombed it, critically. And I think if it bombed in '99, that meant it didn't get a hundred million dollars. Let me look that one up on Mojo. I feel like that's if Mojo is if even, they're working. Yes, okay, it seems to be working. Wild Wild West, talk about movies. If you freeze frame things, you will see things. I'm pretty really? sure you see Will Smith or Body Doubles Balls in that movie. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Wild Wild West managed to make $113 million off of a $170 million budget. So, Wild yeah. Wild West. Imagine that movie being made today. That movie's insane. Oh, it's fully insane. With the spider and the Kenneth Branagh and all of that, yeah, it's t- it's Tom Hayek. Yes, totally. <sighs> but any you did last it. words on the Evening Star? Um, again, I get why. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't get why critics were quite so mean to it, other than like the emotional thing of Terms of Endearment. If this movie is on television, I will probably stick around and watch it for a little bit because it is both episodic and it has enough moments that you want to stick around for. I will watch as long as I can get to the Shirley and Jack scenes, because they are wonderful. And, yeah, it made me want to watch Terms of Endearment again, which, you know, is probably the right instinct. That's probably... That's fair. Yeah. And I guess that is our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your stuff. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd, also at Joe Reed, R-E-I-D. All right, and I'm also on Twitter at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, on Letterboxd under the same name, and I write regularly for the film experience. You, we would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please give our podcast daughter a shot! Um, that's all for this week, but we hope... <laughs> Hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.